Chapter Five of the Garden of Eden by Max Brand. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Connor shook his head almost sadly. A horse that stands not a hair more than fourteen, three, eighteen years old, with a hundred and eighty pounds up. No, I'm not a fool. Which is it, the roan or the bay? Gasped Townsend. Which do you say? I'll tell you about the valley after the race. Which horse, Mr. Connor? Thus appealed to, the gambler straightened and clasped his hands behind his back. He looked coldly at the horses. How old is that brown yonder, the one the boy is just mounting? Three. But what's he got to do with the race? He's a shade too young or he'd win it. That's what he has to do with it. Back Haig's horse, then. The roan is the best bet. Have you had a good look at lightning? He won't last in this going, with that weight up. You're right, panted Townsend, and I'm going to risk a hundred on him. Hey, Joe, how you bet on Charlie Haig? Two to one. Take you for a hundred, Joe. Meet Mr. Connor. A hundred it is, Jack. Can I do anything for you, Mr. Connor? I'll go a hundred on the roan, sir. Have I done it right? asked Townsend fiercely a little later. I wonder, do you know? Ask that after the race is over, smiled Connor. After all, you have only one horse to be afraid of. Sure, lightning, but he's enough. Not lightning, I'll tell you. The gray horse is the only horse to be afraid of, though the brown stallion might do if he has enough seasoning. For a moment panic brightened the eyes of Townsend, and then he shook the fear away. I've done it now, he said huskily, and there's no use talking. Let's get down to the finish. The crowd was streaming away from the start and headed toward the finish, half a mile down the street, beyond the farther end of Lucan. Most of this distance, Townsend kept his companion close to a run. Then he suddenly appealed for a slower pace. It's my heart, he explained. Nothing else bothers it. But during a horse race, it sure stands on end. I get to thinking of what my wife will say if I lose, and that always plumb upsets me. He was, in fact, spotted white and purple when they joined the mob which packed both sides of the street at the finish posts. Already the choice positions were taken. We won't get a look, groaned Townsend. But Connor chuckled. You tie on to me, and we'll get to the front in a squeeze. And he ejected himself into the mob. How it was done, Townsend could never understand. They oozed through the thickness of the crowd and when roughly pressed men ahead of them turned around ready to fight, Connor was always looking back, apparently, forced along by the pressure from the rear. He seemed, indeed, to be struggling to keep his footing, but in a few minutes Townsend found himself in the front rank. He mopped his brow and smiled up into the cool face of Connor, but there was no time for comments. Eight horses fretted in a ragged line far down the street and as they frisked here and there, the brims of the sombreros of the riders flapped up and down. Only the Eden Gray stood with downward head, dreaming. No heart, said Townsend, in that gray horse. Look at him. Plenty of head, though, replied Connor. Here they go. His voice was lost in a yell that went up wailing, shook into a roar, and then died off as though a gust of wind had cut the sounds away. A murmur of voices followed, and then an almost womanish yell. 
For Lightning, the favorite, was out in front, and his rider leaned in the saddle with arms suspended and quirk which never fell. The rest were a close group where whips worked ceaselessly. Except in the rear of all the rest, the little gray horse ran without urge, smoothly, as if his rider had given up all hope of winning and merely allowed his horse to canter through. "'Do you see?' screamed Townsend. "'Is that what you know about horses, Mr. Connor? Look at Cliff Jones's lightning. What do you—' He cut his upbraiding short. For Connor's was a grisly face, white above the mouth, with the gathered brows, as though with intense effort he strove to throw the influence of his will into that mass of horse-flesh. The hotel-keeper turned in time to see lightning, already buckling under the strain, throw up his head. The heavy burdens, the deep, soft going, and the fact that none of the horses were really trained to sprint, made the half-mile course a very real test, and now the big leader perceptibly weakened. Out of the pack shot a slender brown body and came to the girth to the neck of the bay. "'The stallion!' shouted Townsend. "'By God, you do know horses. Who'd have thought that skinny fella had it in him?' "'He'll die,' said Connor calmly. The bay and the brown went back into the pack together, even as Connor spoke, though the riders were flogging hard. And now the roan drew to the front. It was plain to see that he had the foot of the rest, for he came away from the crowd with every leap. "'Look, look, look!' moaned Townsend. Two for one, look. He choked with pleasure and gripped Connor's arm in both his hands in token of gratitude. Now the race bore swiftly down the finish, the horses looming bigger. Their eyes could be seen, and their straining nostrils now, and the desperate face of each rider trying to lift his horse into a great burst. "'He's got it,' sobbed Thompson, hysterical. "'Nothing can catch him now.' But his companion, in place of an answer, stiffened and pointed. His voice was a tone of horror, almost, as he said, "'I knew, by God, I knew all the time, and wouldn't believe my eyes. For far from the left, rounding the pack, came a streak of gray. It caught the brown horse and passed him in two leaps. It shot by the laboring bay, and only the roan of Charlie Haig remained in front. The rider, confident of victory, had slipped his quirt over his wrist and was hand-riding his horse, when a brief, deep yell of dismay from the crowd made him jerk a glance over his shoulder. He cut the quirk into the flank of the roan, but it was too late. Five lengths from the finish, the little gray shoved his nose in front, and from that point, settling toward the earth as he stretched into a longer and longer stride, every jump increased his margin. The nose of the roan was hardly on the rump of the gelding at the finish. A bedlam roar came from the crowd. Townsend was cursing and beating time to his oaths with a fat fist. Townsend found so many companion losers that his feelings were really salved, and he turned to Connor, smiling wryly. "'We can't win every day,' he declared. "'But I'll tell you this, partner. Of all the men I've ever seen, you get the medal for judging a horse. You can pick my string any day.' Eighteen years old,' Connor was saying, in the monotonous tone of one hypnotized. "'Hey there,' protested Townsend, perceiving that he was on the verge of being ignored. 
A hundred and eighty pounds, sighed the big man. Townsend saw for the first time that a stopwatch was in the hand of his companion, and now, as Connor began to pace off the distance, the hotel proprietor tagged behind, curious. Twenty steps from the starting point, the larger man stopped abruptly, shook his head, and then went on. When he came to the start, he paused again, and Townsend found him staring with dull eyes at the face of the watch. "'What'd they make it in?' asked the little man. The other did not hear. "'They ran from this line,' he queried in a husky voice. "'Sure, line between them posts.' Fifty-nine seconds,' he kept repeating. Fifty-nine seconds, fifty-nine. "'What about fifty-nine seconds?' asked Townsend. And receiving no answer, he murmured to himself, "'The heat has got to his head.' Connor asked quietly, "'Know anything about those gray horses and where they came from?' "'Sure as much as anybody. Came from yonder, in the mountains. A negro raises them. A death-mute ain't ever been heard to say a word.' "'And he raises horses like that? Sure.' "'And nobody's been up there to try and buy them? "'Too far to go, you see. Long ride and a hard trail. "'Besides, there's plenty of good horse-flesh right around Lucan here.' "'Of course,' nodded Connor genially. "'Of course there is. "'Besides, them grays is too small. "'Personally, I don't hanker after a runt of a horse. "'I'd look like a fool on one of them.' The voice of Connor was full of hearty agreement. So do I. Yes, they're small. If they're all like that one. Too small. Much too small. He looked narrowly at Townsend from the corner of his eyes to make sure that the hotel proprietor suspected nothing. This death mute sells some now and then? Yep. He comes down once in a while and sells a horse to the first gent he meets. Then he walks back to the garden. Always oh, geldings that he sells. I understand. Stand up under work pretty well, those little horses. Harry Macklin's got one. Harry lives at Fort Andrew. There's a funny yarn out about how Harry... What price does the mute ask? Thinking of getting one of them? Me? Of course not. What do I want with a runt of a horse like that? But I was wondering what they pay around here for little horses. I don't know. What's the story you were going to tell me about Harry Macklin? You see, it was this way, and he poured forth the stale anecdote while they strode back to the hotel. Connor smiled and nodded at appropriate places, but his absent eyes were seeing once more the low running form of the little gray gelding coming away from the rest of the pack. End of chapter five.